This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. Well, welcome again. So glad that you joined us tonight. And we are in for a wonderful time, I have no doubt. But I do have to caution you. (laughs) Tonight, we are going to study probably one of the strongest warnings that we see in Scripture. So I want to encourage you, brace yourself. Let's trust the Holy Spirit to help us understand and receive it with the right heart and to just express and just reveal to us what God's heart is behind this portion of Scripture here. Amen. Praise God. All right, so here's the title of our series, which we began many, many weeks ago. It is the Epistle to the Hebrews, and as you know, we're going through the book of Hebrews or through the Epistle to the Hebrews. We are studying that whole entire book, and this indeed is a marathon, and it is going to be one awesome, awesome series, I'm sure. For those who want to study the book of Hebrews seriously, I have no doubt that this is going to be a gem in their lives. It is for me for sure, praise God. All right, so tonight we are studying, we are looking at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 8, and we are subtitling this session, A Warning Not to Reject Salvation in Jesus. And that's in essence the heart of what is conveyed here by the writer of Hebrews. All right, so remember, I said to you, this is one of the strongest warnings that we see here. But you can see, the, or you'll be able to tell why he so, feels so strong about it. Now, I do want to tell you, I've heard, and I too used to do this before I got the revelation of the wonderful gospel truth and the grace of God in my BG days, as I say, BG standing for before grace. In my BG days, I used to preach this. I used to share this with people to scare the hell literally out of them and i would do it in such a way that people would respond to it not because they had confidence and faith but out of fear of going to hell and i don't know if that's a good way to get someone to have confidence and trust in god and his grace and his love you know because then people follow god they keep on to their profession simply because they feel they have to or they fear not because they really want to or they really have a love and affection for god it's it's harmful that way but you know we we're studying this in context so oftentimes this is mistaught out of context and it's also taught in the sense that it has to do purely with sin a believer who just keeps on sinning now there is an aspect to that But we need to see how it involves that. And so, nonetheless, so I trust that you're just going to be braced. You're going to listen carefully. Don't let this scare you. Don't let it put you off. Just listen to it. Have an open heart. Let the freedom of Jesus, the freedom in Jesus that we have, just set you free and keep enjoying your wonderful salvation. Amen. But it is something that we need to hear. It is something that's in here for a reason. This is probably one of the least taught portions of Scripture. Uh, in the last year, and I'm not, I don't follow everyone, I don't watch every 
a teaching show or anything, but just randomly, you know, I listen to podcasts. I do have my podcasts that I listen to every day that I listen to, you know, on a weekly basis. I do, when I get the chance, I do watch some Christian television. But in the last year, I have not heard anyone go anywhere near this portion here. And one of the reasons why I believe this is one of the least taught portions is because of what it conveys. You know, pastors don't want to scare people away, especially in our time today with, you know, being politically correct and everything else that goes on and, you know, embracing and accepting and tolerant and so forth. I think pastors just shy away because they're more interested in keeping the masses than preaching gospel truth to the hearts of people. And so that's just my opinion. Now, what we've seen so far in our last two or, two or three sessions is, is that the writer basically discussed in his letter to the Hebrews. Now remember, this is a Jewish community living outside of Israel, and they're facing persecution. Uh, they faced many trials and tribulations. They were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus because they used to be part of the Jude, you know, the um, under the law system. They were Jews. And so they followed and related to God by law. And of course, now they receive this teaching of redemption in Jesus and the grace of God and the new covenant. And so they were being persecuted by, you know, the Judases, as they call them, and people who didn't like the fact that they were leaving the faith, that, or not the faith, but the system that they followed for so long and were now following the Lord Jesus. And so in the last two or three sessions, we've seen basically how he shows them and he says to them, if you don't have a good understanding of God's law, then you won't really understand gospel truth. So there is great value in understanding the law of God. That's something else that I believe in mainstream Christianity. That's an aspect that is missing. People don't understand the law properly or adequately. They don't understand the purpose of the law in relation to the new covenant believer and the role that it's meant to have. And because of that, they don't really understand gospel truth. A mixture of law and grace will not really reveal, you know, the grace of God as we should understand it in the new covenant. So he deals with that. So he basically tells them, and I'm putting it in my own words, you don't even understand your own law properly. So I need to teach you those things and show you those things so that you can understand gospel truth properly and adequately and then he went on to explain that and he shows them how the law points to Jesus and he's been doing that all along in everything we've studied so far but specifically he then goes on to talk about six different aspects or principles as he calls them of the law and basically through that remember we studied that last week and again, that's something that's often misunderstood. It's not talking about the basics of Christianity, even though in a way I guess you could say it is, because it's the basics of the law. The law is the type and shadow of the real. That's why it's the basic principles of Christ, because the law points to Jesus. So it is the basic, uh, basic principles of Christ. So he went through all of those, and I showed you how they actually are all law practices, and they are talking about, he's talking about the law, but how it points to Jesus. And so he goes on to do that. And in that, the point that he makes is, is that you can no longer relate to God by law. And we can also say you can no longer relate to God by a mixture of law and grace. 
And Romans chapter 7 is very clear about that, and we'll study some of that sometime. But in essence, that's what the point that he makes. And so now in that context, he goes on with our next portion, which is Hebrews 4, uh, Hebrews 6, I'm sorry, uh, verses 4 to 8. And so what I'm going to do in that portion is I'm going to include the first part of verse 1 because it's going to help us keep the context and stay in context because I don't want us to lose the context. Remember, context, the word. If you take the text out of context, you're left with con. And we don't want that. We want to keep the context. Amen. All right, so let's read the first part of verse 1, and then we'll go on to verse 4 to 8. Let's read that whole portion first. So he has verse 1. He says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection. Now remember, when he says leaving, he's, he's talking about the things of the law. Because remember, in, uh, right after that, he discusses the six basic things of the law. And he says, let's leave those principles which are the basic principles of the doctrine of Christ. And he says, let us go on unto perfection. Another way you can translate that word perfection is completeness. So he says, let us go on unto completeness. In other words, the law showed you at the type of shadow of Jesus, but Jesus is the real. He is the fulfillment of all the old covenant reveals. So why would you want to stay in the type and shadow in the incomplete when you can go on to the complete. And that's what he says. So in that context now, he then goes on to say, so basically before we go there, basically what he's saying is, is that, you know, you can't stay under the, relate to God by the old covenant. You have to relate to him by the new covenant. Or you could say, you can no longer relate to God by law. You need to relate to him by grace. And so in that context, watch what he says now, verses 4 to 8. Let's read it. He says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put into an open shame. For the earth, which drinketh in the rain, that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs, meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burnt. Now, in the old King James, it's a little harder to understand, and we're going to break it down and study it in a moment. But you know, one of the reasons why I use that translation is because to me it's one of the most accurate word-by-word -word translations. And we don't want to lose, you know, that specific accurateness of the word. And so let's study this a little bit. But before we do that, let me make a few comments about what we've just read. Now, if you look at this portion in context, you can see that it's a warning about rejecting salvation in Jesus. Basically, it's a warning or a word spoken against apostasy. Apostasy is when someone, as we've studied this already, when someone leaves their faith for something else. So they're an apostate. 
and you can see that this portion is addressing that. Now, remember that earlier on, in, other por in the previous portion, he told them to move on from relating to God by law. And he qualified it by explaining the six principles of the law, which were types and shadows. So now, after that, he says, after having received and experienced salvation in Jesus, basically he's saying, if you go back to law, you are making an irreversible decision. That's in essence what he just said in that portion. And then he gives an illustration at the end about the rain on the land and so forth to make his point absolutely clear. And so let's have a look at, at it and let's just get into a few more details and see other places where this is confirmed. So let's have a look again at Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4 to 8. Let's take that portion first. Notice he says here, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, watch us, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance. So you can see he's talking about new covenant believers. Seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. All right, so let me make some comments about what we've just read there. And I'm going to be a little while with that. So we've read it, we've seen it, so you know what I'll be referring to. So, first of all, let's talk about one who is enlightened. Someone who's enlightened is someone who has gained good understanding of the gospel. That's what he's saying in this case, right? Of gospel truth. So it's not someone who's new to the faith, who's still learning and understanding. This is someone who understands enough to know what redemption in Jesus means. And he says, that's the person who's at risk. Then he also says that they have tasted, remember? So someone who has tasted is someone who has begun to consume something that may not have consumed it all yet, but they have certainly begun to eat it, right? Because when you begin eating something, you take your first bite, that's when you get a taste of it. But then you swallow it and you've had it and you continue eating, right? And so what he is saying here is that, yes, you may not have have it all. You may not understand all revelation. You may not have experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit and everything else. But you have got enough. You've consumed enough. You've taken in enough to be held accountable and to know what it is that you are doing. That's what he's saying. And then the other thing that he mentions is, is that, you know, they have become partakers of the Holy Ghost. Well, a partaker is someone who has engaged in the experience. I am a partaker of my marriage. I can't say that I'm not a partaker of my marriage. The day I said I do, and I married Helena, I became a partaker of my marriage. And so in the same way, when someone receives salvation in Jesus, they become a partaker of the Holy Spirit because He comes in their heart, He gives them the witness, they experience the new birth, and He lives in them. So you and I are partakers of the Holy Ghost. And so you can see, He's talk, again, talking about someone who has received salvation in Jesus and understands it enough and has had enough exposure to it. 
Then he also says that if they fall away, now to fall away means to become an apostate in this case. Because what he's saying is they fall away from that faith. They fall away from believing and having received redemption in Jesus. And so in other words, it's someone who walks away from the current state they are in, in Jesus, to a different state. Whatever that state is, right? And so the other thing too that he says there is, is that in context, he says, for it is impossible to renew them again to repentance. In context, that's what he's saying. And so in other words, what he is saying is, is that they cannot receive salvation in Jesus again. That's why it is an irreversible decision that they make, right? And so once they've walked away from it, what they're basically saying is they've treated Jesus and the finished work of the cross and everything he did to redeem them, they're treating it as meaningless, and so they walk away from it, and that's what apostasy does. It walks away from what it believed and it put its trust in. And so by doing that, they're basically shaming Jesus because they're saying, what he did is not enough for me. I can't trust it. I can't believe it. And so therefore, they're putting him to shame again, it says. And that's why they're putting him open to public shame because now their lives will be a testimony to someone who has shamed what Jesus has done because they no longer believe and trust him. That's in essence what he's saying there. Um, I want to just share an illustration with you to help us understand it a little bit more. Now, there is an old secular proverb, and some people say it originates from the Italians. Others say that it originates from the Chinese. Regardless of where it comes from, it's not in Scripture necessarily, but it's a good way for me to illustrate what I'm explaining here and what we've just read. We've all heard the old proverb that says and goes something like this. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right? Now, we know what that means. It means that if someone takes advantage of you twice, you only have yourself to blame. In other words, the first time they took advantage of you, maybe they caught you off guard. You didn't realize that's what they were going to do. And so they did it to you. But now that you know what they like and what they do, if you let them do it again, do it to you again, then really it's shame on you because you've let it happen. You've let them do it to you again. So it's a way of saying, you know, when someone takes advantage of you twice, you only have yourself to blame. Let's take, for example, betrayal. If someone betrays you, now you know what that means. They go behind your back, they do things, they betray you. We know what betrayal is. So if someone betrays you once, it's shame on them for doing that to you. But knowing what they've done to you, you embrace them again, knowing that they could betray and they will betray you again most likely, and they do betray you again, well, this time it's shame on you because you've let it happen to you, right? So that's in essence what this Proverbs is saying. And most of us will disconnect from that person after the first time. Isn't that so? We'll love them from a distance. We'll pray for them. But who wants to have someone in their life who betrays them? 
And, you know, <laughs> you can never trust them. You can never have confidence. Now, yes, there's grace and mercy, but, you know, we're all going to put our boundaries and most people will disconnect from someone who betrays them. Because betrayal is not a, it's not a nice thing, right? And, you know, one of the examples that I can give you, and I trust my dear wife will have grace on me when I share this with you. But before I met Helena, I had a girlfriend who everyone thought was a little eccentric and a little out there and a little weird. But she was a very sweet person, very nice person. And, you know, I thought, well, you know, as you know, I was trusting God for a wife. And so I thought, well, let's see how it goes. And before I knew, she was very pushy. So before I knew, she was going around telling everyone that I was her boyfriend when I hadn't even committed to that yet. But nonetheless, so, you know, um, she was my girlfriend. But what happened was, is, remember, I said this is before I met Helena. Now, what happened was is, is that I think we were in a month or two in, in the relationship. And some of her own friends... And some of my own friends were coming to me. There, was, there were about three people, or four people maybe. They came to me at different times and said to me, Do you know, and they mentioned her name, who everyone, according to her, she had told them that we were boyfriend and girlfriend. Um, Do you know that so-and-so, talking about her, has cheated on you? And she's been cheating on you. And I thought, huh? What do you mean? And then people would give me specifics and they would tell me, they would give me names, they would give me times, then I would go and verify it. And I found that to be the case, that she had cheated on me with several people during that short time. And so I was baffled and I was confused. I was not ready to get my heart broken or anything. So I confronted her. I, you know, it was one-on-one. -on -one. I spoke with her and I mentioned to her the situations, the people, the places, the times. Well, she went as red as anything. She cried. She tried to flip the whole thing on me and, you know, make everyone else look bad. I knew that she was lying. I knew that it was true, that she did cheat on me and she wasn't being honest. And so long story short, you know, that's where it, it ended. Whatever it was, it ended right there for me. I didn't want anything to do with her or with the situation or anything. That just wasn't where I, the standard that I live by, that wasn't what I was going to put myself through. So I wasn't going to be bitten twice by the situation. And so it ended there for me. But here's the thing, here's what I'm trying to say. By cheating on me, she basically rejected me. Wouldn't you agree? The moment she decided to cheat on me, that's when she rejected me. And so, in essence, that's what we see here. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He's saying, by rejecting redemption in Jesus, that's what you're basically doing. You're disconnecting yourself from it. That's what he's saying. And so, anyway, let's continue now and let's have a look at a little more detail. But I want to show you something else here first. I want to show you and I want to link the portions that are relevant with, without what's in between. Because what's in between qualifies it. So have a look at this over here on the screen. The first part of verse 4, and then the first part of verse 6. This is in essence what he's saying there. For it is impossible. Impossible means not possible. Impossible means irreversible in this case. For it is impossible for those who were, and now we know he's talking about saved, because he mentions all the saved attributes of it, 
For it is impossible for those who were saved, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance. In other words, unto the faith. In other words, you cannot be saved twice. You can only be saved once. If you reject it and walk away from it, in other words, become an apostate, then you've literally sealed your eternal destiny. That's what he's saying. Now, <clears throat> I want to add something to that, and then I'm going to show you within the context here. A believer who goes back to intentional, to an intentional, sinful lifestyle is also bound to ultimately reject salvation in Jesus. You've heard me say that many times because people have a misunderstanding of grace. Sometimes they think that grace is just, I call it greasy grace. I really call it this grace because they think, you know, it's a license to sin and it's just, it's a cover up for all and so forth. And you know that that's not the case because a believer who goes back to an intentional sinful lifestyle is then also bound to reject salvation in Jesus. And in truth, and I'm about to show you that, in truth, it is no different than, for example, in their case, a Hebrew believer going back to law. Because that is also sin. Someone who says, no, I'm going to reject salvation in Jesus, and I'm going to back to relating to God by law, it is no different to someone who receives salvation in Jesus and then says, no, I'm going to continue with a sinful lifestyle, intentional sin. It's the exact same thing that they are doing. The one going back to law is rejecting salvation in Jesus and the one going back to an intentional, ongoing sinful lifestyle is also rejecting salvation in Jesus. Let me show you this. Remember I said to you, you need to brace yourself. This is one of the stronger parts, but we need to hear this because we need to understand this. Yes, we love the grace of God. Yes, we love the mercy of God. Yes, we love the new covenant, but that, let's not misunderstand that. Amen. Let me show you this. And uh, Peter, in actual fact, confirms this. Now I'm going to read these portions from the Living Bible just because it amplifies it beautifully and it's pretty accurate. So, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 20 to 22 from the Living Bible. Watch what Peter says here. He makes this as clear as anything. He says, speaking about, about New Covenant believers, And when a person has escaped from the wicked ways of the world by learning about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, what, in other words, receive salvation in Jesus, watch this now, and then gets tangled up with sin and becomes its slave again, he is worse off than he was before. See there? And how were you before? Well, you were lost, but he says you're worse off than before. Well, now because you've sealed your eternal future. Verse 21, watch this. It would be better if he had never known about Christ at all than to learn of him and then afterwards turn his back on the holy commandments. Now, he's not talking about the commandments of the law there. He's talking about the new covenant commandments, which is really to live a holy life. And you'll see the, like the, the new living and other translations actually explain that. So he says, and then afterwards, he's turned his back on the holy commandments. In other words, commandments to live a holy life as a new covenant believer. 
that were given to him, watch us now, there is an old saying that a dog comes back to what he has vomited and a pig is watched only to come back and wallow in the mud again. That is the way it is with those who turn again to their sin. So you can see from this that Peter the Apostle, inspired by the Lord, writes a similar thing and explains. And he says, praise God for His grace. Yes, we, 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 we live under grace. We are new covenant believers. But don't think that that means that is a cover-up for unholy living. And right here he makes it very clear. Someone who receives salvation in Jesus and intentionally goes to, on to sin, he says, it's better if they never knew about Christ. It's better if they were, didn't even know because they are going to be in a worse state than they were in before. We were not in a good state before in Adam. So what is worse than that? Well, it's eternal damnation. And he says, it's better that they were never in that situation because, and then he gives the examples where he says, you know, a dog goes back to its vomit. How many of you have seen a dog throw up and then after a while it turns around and goes back and eats it up again? I mean, it makes us want to puke. And you know, if you watch a pig being washed, he goes right back into the mud. And so this is the example that he gives you in relation to that. And that's in essence what the writer of Hebrews is conveying in that portion. He's saying it is impossible for someone who receives salvation in Jesus and then goes back to law, or as we've seen here, as a new covenant believer, goes back into intentional sinful living. Ultimately, he says, they're rejecting salvation in Jesus and it is impossible for them to receive salvation again because they've just made a mockery of Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Now, the other place in Hebrews and uh we will touch on it when we get there and study it, but we're covering it now. But the other portion, the other place in Hebrews where he again brings up this warning in a, another stronger way is in Hebrews chapter 10. So let's read that. And so we're going to read Hebrews 10 verses 26 to 31. And then we're going to jump to 35 to 39 just for time's sake. But you'll see that he's basically saying the same thing with additional revelation, additional information to help us understand just how serious it is for someone to reject salvation in Jesus. Now remember, you cannot lose your salvation. From God's perspective, He's not going to disconnect anyone. He's not out to, you know, He's watching this, He's watching that, and then He decides to cut you off. No, you can't lose your salvation that way. What, what we do is when we reject salvation in Jesus by our doing, we have lost it. But it's not because of God. It's because of our doing. Right? So let's read this Hebrews chapter 10. Beginning with verse 26. It says, If anyone sins... Now remember, this is to the same community, same author. If anyone sins deliberately... See that? That's intentionally. That is willfully. In other words, this isn't a mistake. This isn't, I didn't know better. This is someone who knows this is sin and I shouldn't be doing this. If anyone sins deliberately, and then he explains what that sin is, by rejecting the Savior after knowing the truth of forgiveness, this sin is not covered by Christ's death. There is no way to get rid of it. 
There will be nothing to look forward to but the terrible punishment of God's awful anger, which will consume all his enemies. See, someone who rejects salvation in Jesus becomes an enemy of God. A man who refused to obey the laws given by Moses was killed without mercy if there were two or three witnesses to his sin. Then he says, Think how much more terrible the punishment will be for those who have trampled underfoot the Son of God and treated his cleansing blood as though it were common and unhallowed and insulted and outraged the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to his people. Then he says, For we know him who said, Justice belongs to me. I will repay them. Who, al who also said, The Lord himself will handle these cases. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So once more, you see there this strong warning about apostasy, about rejecting salvation in Jesus. And here he specifically specifies that the sin is that of rejecting salvation in Jesus. Peter just showed us that it is someone who goes into an intentional sinful lifestyle. But then he goes on here in verse 35 to 39. Watch this. <clears throat> Do not let this happy trust in the Lord die away. No matter what happens, remember your reward. You need to keep on patiently doing God's will if you want Him to do for you all that He has promised. His coming will not be delayed much longer. And those whose faith has made them good in God's sight must live by faith. In other words, trusting and depending on Him. Trusting Him in everything. Otherwise, if they shrink back, see that? God will have no pleasure in them. Watch this now in verse 39. But we have never turned our backs on God and sealed our fate. No, our faith in Him assures our soul's salvation. So you can see that he ends off there with an encouragement to say, this is what happens if you reject salvation in Jesus. In their case specifically, it was by going back to law, relating to God by law. But yet he says here at the same time, if you just hang on, if you just keep your faith and trust in him, you are fine. You will receive the reward and also you'll be fine. You're not going to be one of those who has turned his back on God and thus eternally sealed his or her fate. And so you can see from this that rejecting salvation in Jesus is a very serious thing. I mean, we don't even need to explain that. It makes sense. It's just, it's a no-brainer, right? But it's something we need to be aware of. But I think oftentimes what happens is, is that there are those who twist the truth about God's grace. And, you know, they see it or they communicate that it's a license, that it's a one-for-all cover for any and every sin. And as we have seen, that's not the case. I mean, I remember when God began to first reveal to me you know, the difference between law and grace and began to minister to me about gospel truth, honestly. You know, I began to do my own research and I began to prayerfully just look at the scriptures and trust God and so forth. But I remember coming across uh, on, on YouTube, I think it was, across some preachers who claimed to be grace preachers. And they would be teaching things like inclusionism, universalism. And then there were some who would 
literally sit on camera and they would have a bottle of wine and a glass of wine here and a cigar on the on the ashtray and you know they would say let me show you how free jesus has made me by his grace they would take a puff and blow it out in front of the camera and laugh they would pour the wine and take a sip and by the time they were finished with the sermon you could see they were intoxicated and i'm thinking and you know i think the devil was helped me find those things to try and distract me and prevent me from embracing gospel truth. Because unfortunately, it only takes one or two cases like that to put people off. And this is why you have other believers who say, see, this grace thing is a license to sin. This grace thing is just, you know, licentiousness. It is, um, you know, so that people can go on sinning. And you know that that's not the truth. I have never taught and said, it's okay to sin. Go on on sinning. In actual fact, Portions like this show us that that's not the case. We appreciate the grace of God. We praise God that we are forgiven for all of our sin. But we should never take it for granted that we can reject salvation in Jesus. For someone who related to God by law and then received salvation in Jesus and then goes back to law and decides to give up on Jesus and quit on Jesus and see animal sacrifices as more potent than the sacrifice of Jesus, that's how they reject salvation in Jesus. And then for the non-Jewish, the Gentile believer, as you've seen, someone who engages in intentional sin, well, they're doing the same thing. And eventually it will lead them to a place where they will reject salvation in Jesus. And so that's what his warning is about here. It is a sobering truth about gospel truth. We need to be careful because the thing is, is that I mean, if you think about it, the sin itself is not the issue. It is the habitual practice of it that ultimately leads one to reject salvation in Jesus. And think about the Old Testament. It clarifies and it actually backs that up too. It confirms that. Because if you look at the Old Testament, which is the type and shadow of Jesus, they had animal sacrifices. They had all kinds of rituals, which are all a type of redemption in Jesus. But even under the old covenant, that system that God gave them, which is the type and shadow of Jesus, there was never any provision for someone who sinned intentionally. It was always forgiveness for unintentional sin, for just sins of nature, sins of ignorance. But there was never provision for intentional sin. And so in the same way, you know, that's a type and shadow that shows us in Jesus, and like it says here, like we saw it in Peter, like we saw it here, there is no sacrifice, if you will, for intentional sin. Someone who goes back to that. Now, I do want to say this because I sense in my spirit there may be some who are beginning to feel guilt, condemnation, and are beginning to maybe sweat a little bit in the hair standing up. And I'm not saying you're sinful people or anything. But here's the thing. Yes, we all make mistakes. Yes, we live in this body that is still subject to decay and sinfulness. Yes, we, we will be freed from it. We will make mistakes. But remember what I'm saying here. It is intentional, habitual sin. And in actual fact, I want to encourage you, don't miss this Sunday. Because I'm going to talk about this and I'm going to explain that. And it's, I believe it's going to bring freedom to you. And so... But I just want to tell you now, don't go and let the devil begin to bombard your mind and begin to tell you, see, you know, you've done that quite a few times. You've done that more than enough. So it's probably intentional. 
because you know you were doing wrong and this and that. Now let me tell you something. You're hearing this today and it's doing something to your heart and to your conscience. You know, the best thing for us to do is to respond to it, not react to it. A reaction, you know, you think about it. Let's just say that I cut myself in my hand here and someone brings an ointment and they say, try this. this, this helps you heal. And I don't bother looking or seeing anything or checking it out and I put it on and my skin reacts to it. My whole system reacts to it. Now it gets worse, it gets infected and it swells because some, you know, some people are allergic to certain things. But let's just say that it ha I had a negative reaction to it. That's a reaction. But if Helena brought an ointment, she didn't bring the first one, okay? <laughs> she, brought, she brings something that she knows will help me. And I put it on and my system reacts to uh, responds to it real well. It actually heals beautifully. There's no scar at the end. Well, that's a response. And so what I'm saying to you in all of this is when we hear things like this, don't react to it. Don't just assume that this is about guilt, shame and condemnation and put you on a guilt trip. And now you're thinking, oh, just when I thought the grace was wonderful, how different is this to when I was under law? Or the mixture of law and grace. Well, this is not a mixture of law and grace. <laughs> this is a sobering truth to help us not reject salvation in Jesus. And like I say, I don't believe that anyone in their right mind would do that. And so if for any reason, and I sense this by the Holy Spirit, so listen to me. Uh, this, is, this is a thus is the Lord moment. If for any reason you find yourself that you've been engaging in sin willfully, intentionally. I believe this is a God-divine moment because this is God, the Holy Spirit, saying to you, let's stop it now. Let's bring it to an end now. Just quit it right now. Make, make a commitment right now. Receive my grace. Receive my mercy. Receive my forgiveness. Bring it to an end today. And then you won't have to have your conscience become hardened, your heart hardened, your conscience seared, and eventually be led to reject salvation in Jesus. And I have to be honest, <clears throat> I, don't, I can't say to you for sure that I know these people have done that. But I know a few individuals who may not have said it with their mouth, they rejected salvation in Jesus, although one of them did actually say that. But I know a few individuals who have gone back into a sinful lifestyle. They still show up in church. I'm not talking about our church, but they still go to church. They still raise their hands. They still give support. They do all the things, the mechanical things, thinking that God is going to be fooled and somehow, somehow He's going to see their performance and He's going to just let the performance outweigh the sin and just ignore and turn a blind eye to the sin and, you know, just let them go on living a sinful lifestyle. But all, everything else that they're doing for the kingdom, you know, is going to be matter more. No, we can't fool God. We cannot fool God that way. Let's not fool ourselves that way. Remember, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. You know, I think that even though it's not a scriptural thing, that's in essence what God is saying to us here. He, he doesn't have room for that. And I'm speaking to all of us, including myself here today. You know, this is why we need to trust God to help us live 
the holiness that He's given us in Jesus to live it out. We know when it's intentional. We know when we are doing something that we know we shouldn't be doing. That's when we're putting ourselves at risk. Amen. And no matter how we try and justify it, no matter how we try and explain it, you know, how you were mistreated and how you didn't have this and because of this, there's no excuse. You can see that from this over here. Isn't that so? All right, so let's have a look at our portion again because we still have to uh, discuss verse 7 and 8 and see how that illustration fits into this. So what we're going to do is we're going to read our portion again, verses 4 to 8, from the Living Bible. And I believe that it's going to help us understand it on its own, so we won't have to study or anything any further here. So let's read that portion from the Living Bible for the specific purpose of verse 7 and 8. So it's all in context, okay? So let's read that. He says, There is no use of trying to bring you back to the Lord again if you have once understood the good news and tasted for yourself the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit. So he says, there's no use in trying to get you saved again because you can't be saved again. Then he says, yeah, and know how the good word of God is and felt the mighty powers of the world to come. See, that's talking about the new birth experience and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then have turned against God. Watch this. You cannot bring yourself to repent again if you have nailed the Son of God to the cross again by rejecting Him, holding Him up to mocking and to public shame. In other words, you make fun of the finished work of the cross and what Jesus did by doing that. Then in that context, He uses this illustration to explain that. Watch this now, verse 7 and 8. When a farmer's land has had many showers upon it and good crops come, in other words, rain, good crops come, the land has experienced God's blessing upon it. In other words, if the land receives God's blessing and there's rain and it responds to the rain and it produces good and awesome crops, he says, it's wonderful. But then he says in verse 8, But if it keeps on having crops of thistle and thorns, in other words, producing a bad harvest, but it keeps on having crops and thistle and thorns, the land is considered no good and is ready for condemnation and burning off. Now, in context, reading what we've read and understanding what he's explaining here, you can see that he's using this illustration to make this point. Someone who receives salvation in Jesus and then rejects it cannot be saved again. In other words, they've rejected salvation in Jesus. I mean, I don't know how else to explain that. But then he says, here, using that illustration, he says, it's like land. Land that receives rain, the blessing of God, and produces good crops. That is the intention of salvation. In other words, we are meant to produce a holy, right, upright life. We are supposed to flow in the nature that we've received from Jesus. He says, but if someone doesn't do that, and they go and engage in what they shouldn't engage, he says they don't produce a good harvest, and all that's going to happen is, is that that land is going to be condemned, and they, the harvest is going to be burnt off. In other words, it's going to be no use, no good. And so you can see that it's an illustration to express the heart of what he's sharing here. Now remember I said to you when we began, 
This is one of the most sobering portions of Scripture. One of the most unpopular because you can see its nature. And you know, we love grace. And yes, God's grace is real. New covenant is real. We relate to God by grace. But at the same time, it's not a cover-up for all. It's not a license to sin. You can see that we can still reject salvation in Jesus. And I trust that this has clarified this for us. And like I said, there's no need to receive guilt or condemnation here. If anything, if we sense something rising up on the inside of us, let's respond to it. Don't react to it. Don't react to our teaching. Don't throw the baby out with the dirty bathwater just because the bathwater is dirty. No. Just man up, woman up. <laughs> and just say, Lord, yeah, I have been doing things that I shouldn't be doing habitually or intentionally. And I thank you for your forgiveness. I release it now. I lay myself at your feet now. Thank you for helping me overcome it. And thank you for your grace. And I believe that this word has come in enough to change it on the inside of us to help us. Amen. And remember, I'm speaking to all of us here today. Praise God. And so you can see from this and by him sharing that illustration, basically what he's saying is, is that evidence of salvation is a holy and upright life. That's the land that produces a good harvest. A life that is unholy and unrighteous and not upright is a life that has rejected salvation in Jesus. That's in essence what he's saying there. But anyway, so, and of course the other final thought that I want to leave us with here today is, is that those who are in hell, they are there because they rejected salvation in Jesus. No one is in hell for sinning or for their sin. Because that was taken care of at the cross. The only reason why people go to hell and God sees them as enemies is because they reject the redemption that He provides for them in and through Jesus. And that's the heart of the writer of Hebrews here. That's what he is conveying to his audience and to us. And I believe it's a sobering truth, something we need to hear and just receive it with freedom. Amen. And if we need help, God is there to help us. He's not there to condemn us or judge us. He wants to help us more than anything. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.